Welcome to episode 79 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below. Part 1. Initial Insight. I've just started the wonderful and challenging process of giving my website, theintrovertentrepreneur.com, a makeover. If there was a version of the show, What Not to Wear, for websites, my current site would definitely make Stacy and Clinton work overtime. That's why I'm happy to have Norma Maxwell of Connect Interactive on my team. And she's already asking me great questions, including, how can someone who visits my site quickly know if he's an introvert? And how do you define introvert? While the definition and paths to self-discovery are littered throughout my site, there's no one place that addresses that point directly and upfront. So as we approach our 80th episode of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast, it seems like a good time to reconnect with the core of our message. What is an introvert? I define introversion-extroversion in terms of energy. Introverts gain energy from solitude and drain energy from social interaction and higher stimulation environments and activities. Extroverts are the opposite. They're energized by social interaction and drain energy with too much alone or downtime. But I don't think of introverts and extroverts themselves as opposites. It's just an easy way to explain the difference. In reality, we are all on a continuum, with most people hovering towards the middle, which would be called ambivert, but clearly leaning one way or the other. You might think of it as which energy is dominant and which is secondary. To that end, I don't like to talk about it as a personality trait, but rather as an energetic trait. This helps to separate it from the idea that it's all about social skills or ability. If we see introversion and extroversion as energy, then it's easier to approach the challenging areas as skills we can cultivate rather than you either got it or you don't. Part two, shameless self-promotion. I have two short pieces of good news to share. I'm working with my podcast engineer to produce an audio version of my first book, Insight Reflections on the Gifts of Being an Introvert. It will be ready for purchase in late spring. You can be sure I'll share the news when it's ready. And second, I'm proud to share that this podcast was included in the top 25 business podcasts for entrepreneurs as listed by entrepreneur.com in a December 2014 post. Yes, I know I'm a few months late with the news, but better late than never. That type of recognition comes not just because of valuable content, but because listeners like you are on the receiving end of that content, and you share it with others. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast community. We're about to celebrate five years of continuous podcasting, and you are a big part of what we are celebrating. Part three, the conversation. I met Betsy Talbot about five years ago, just before she left Seattle with her husband to embark on a world-traveling adventure. Even though our introduction was brief, I was instantly inspired by her energy and her go-for-it life attitude. I am pleased to say that over the years and the miles, we've gotten to know one another better, including that she is a bona fide introvert. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome her to the podcast for a conversation about the latest twist in her entrepreneurial journey. Betsy Talbot is a 40-something traveler and author. 
when she's not traveling or penning books about love, adventure, and self-discovery, she is hiking, learning flamenco dancing, and drinking wine in a tiny whitewashed village in Spain. Betsy is the co-author of four books with her husband, Warren Talbot, and they also co-host the popular weekly podcast, Married with Luggage. And as a side note, I interviewed Betsy and Warren together back in 2014. If you're interested in that, look for episode 66 on my website. Betsy's latest project is the Late Bloomer series, a five-book romance series about women in their 40s. Because women with experience make the best characters, in life and on the page. You can find out more at BetsyTalbot.com. Hola, Betsy. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Hola, Beth. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Como esta? Muy bien. <laughs> so why am, I, why am I speaking Spanish, or at least attempting? <laughs> because I am in Spain. <laughs> Yay. So what's making you smile today? Uh, today, I went on a 24-kilometer walk in the Spanish countryside, and I got to see a wild boar, a fox, and a hawk close up. So that is making me smile, even though I am so tired I can barely move. <laughs> oh, wow. It sounds like it was worth it, though. Definitely worth it. We got up at 6.30 and took the bus over to the next village and then took a an old antique trail back, and it was beautiful. Fantastic. Nice. Well, you know, you and I and Warren, your husband, have had a podcast conversation before where we were talking about introversion and extroversion in relationship and travel and whatnot. I, I highly recommend that podcast. But for anyone who hasn't heard it, I'd love for you to talk about personally where you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum and how that awareness has influenced you as you have moved about in the world and built a business. I'm fairly introverted. And uh, but I'm not shy. So lots of people, as you are aware, think that you know if you don't have any trouble speaking and and you're you know able to you know stand in front of a crowd or or promote your products and things that you you can't possibly be an introvert. But I do require a substantial amount of alone time. <laughs> I had always thought that I was that way, but I actually come from a family of introverts. My brothers and my parents are all introverts. And so I never knew that I was weird until I got out into the world and met all these crazy extroverts. And then I married one and now we work together. And really my biggest, I guess, revelation in this, of course, it's nice knowing, you know, kind of who you are and explaining a little bit of the preferences and the way that, you know, that you like to move in the world. But for me, the biggest aha moment in that was how I work with my husband, how we work together, because he is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. We're both really hard-headed. And we butted heads a lot over that. And we had so many misunderstandings, both in our personal life and in our business life, simply because of the different way we viewed and moved in the world. And since we've had this revelation, it has really transformed both our relationship and our business and the way that we operate. So I would say learning this has it's almost like it lifted the veil and a lot of things that were confusing and weird before are now crystal clear and we may not like them still or we may have a hard time working around them, but at least we know and that's half the battle. Yeah, thank you for making that excellent point about like just because we know doesn't mean that everything is going to be roses and sunshine. There's still going to be a lot of negotiation and occasional frustration, even if we understand, but at least we're coming from a place of um, awareness and hopefully some mutual respect for the differences between us. I think so. You know, Warren says that it was a light bulb moment that he felt finally helped him understand me. And, you know, we recently did an interview on our own podcast about the Myers-Briggs and 
as we were talking about this assessment with the psychologist, you know, one of the components on this is the introvert extrovert. And she kept saying, you save the best of yourself for yourself. And she just kept saying it over and over again. And I thought, oh my God, I sound like a horrible person that, that I never want to share the best of myself with anyone else. And then I felt even worse because I thought, oh my God, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) When we're confronted with our own reality, it's not always pretty. (laughs) No, it's not. And and it made me realize how the outside world can sometimes see us. Yeah. Because I do get that, that, you know, I am a warm person once you get to know me, but I do know that I can be seen as a little bit distant and maybe antisocial because I, you know, I'm the first one to leave the party and I, you know, I kind of like to keep to myself. And, but seeing that from the outside perspective in was kind of an eye opener for me. And I thought, okay, there are times that I need to kind of rein that in a little bit to be part of this world. Um, I don't want to change who I am, but you know, it's nice to be aware of that, even if it's a little bit painful. Well, one of the ways I see that you express yourself so beautifully in the world and and share that inside out is through your writing. And over the years, especially, I I don't know if you wrote as much before you started your world travels, but I see you as a very prolific writer and author. And one of the reasons we decided to connect was because you have a new series out called the Late Bloomers series. And it's um, romance fiction, which is quite a departure from what you've done before. What was the catalyst for making the leap? from the more personal nonfiction that you've been writing into fiction? Well, so the interesting thing is that, you know, I'm writing this contemporary romance now for women over 40. It's a pretty specific niche. Um, I basically write for me and all the women that I know, (laughs) all my friends. (laughs) But what I wrote before was a lot of nonfiction and personal nonfiction, and it related to a big change that Warren and I made in our lives. After my brother's heart attack and our good friend's brain aneurysm, both at the age of 35, we, we decided that, you know, maybe we needed to make some big changes and go ahead and live our dreams just in case we weren't around long enough to, to hit retirement. So when we left at, at the age of 40 to travel around the world, it, it really opened up a lot of things for us in our life, both personally and in our relationship and eventually in a business because the readers of our website started asking, you know, how did you manage this? How did you get rid of your stuff? How did you manage your finances? What is your relationship like? What did you have to change to make all these things happen? And so we started writing those books. Now, that sounds like it would be very personal, you know, spilling your financial information and your your <laughs> your relationship information and all of that. And it is in a way, but I think I got so used to sharing things online. And it's not like I ran into these people in the street. I mean, we were traveling in South America and Asia and all of that, and most people didn't know who I was. Um, so it was really pretty easy to share that stuff online and in our books. When it came time to to make a switch, because I felt like I had kind of expressed everything that I needed to about that transition, I started thinking about what was next. What was the big challenge? How could I take everything that I've learned, the transformation throughout this experience and our travels and you know some of the incredible people that I know who shared parts of their journeys with me, and I started thinking about writing novels for women. And one of my friends, Allison, a fellow extreme introvert just like me... <laughs> We we were sharing a house in Morocco for a month. We both work online. We're both writers, and our husbands were with us. And we were sitting around one night. She had cooked a tagine, and we were talking about, you know, life, love, work, everything in general. And she challenged me to write a romance book by the year's end. As a matter of fact, she challenged all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Men included. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And we all sat around talking about what we'd write. And it was, you know, it was a fun evening. But then I started thinking, romance is the perfect genre for me to share you know, personal growth, strong friendship, career success, love and adventure, all the things that I think are so important in life, especially as we get older, you know, they don't just happen to 22-year-old gorgeous people with a trust fund who meet a billionaire playboy who can't live without them. I mean, that <laughs> that doesn't appeal to me as a story. <laughs> right. So I thought I can write all of these things that I so strongly believe in and so want, so want to promote in the world and I can make them fun and interesting and sexy and and you know something that someone over 40 is going to really enjoy reading. And so that's exactly what I did and that one book I started writing it and it was about this group of friends and I thought this has to be a series. And so from from the moment I started writing the first book I knew that it was a five book series. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> You know, as I was reading the first book, Wild Rose, I somehow, because maybe because I know you a little bit, it's like I could imagine you being in those situations or traveling or knowing those people. And um, it all felt so genuine. Like, you know, I thought, you know, she's writing this from a place of experience, like personally having seen people like this or been in a train station like this. And even though it was fiction, it felt very personal. I I'm so glad that you felt that way because that's exactly how I intended it. <laughs> Well, this seems like a good point um, before we move on to kind of more nuts and bolts about your experience with the book. I'd love for everyone to hear a small bit of the book, if you'd be willing to share one of your favorite passages. Sure, sure. I will read one of my favorite little passages. It's from the near the beginning of the book. And here we go. Rose is... Uh, gathered with her girlfriends at her house where uh, they've just had a memorial service for one of the friend's mothers. Listen, I know what you're doing, Rose. It's what you always do. Put everyone else first and wait your turn. But guess what? It's your turn now. No one else is ahead of you. Stop taking care of everyone else and start taking care of yourself. Violet emptied her glass. Today should prove to you that life is short. Mom was only 65, not a sick day in her life. I'm not going to wait to be happy anymore, and you shouldn't either. Raise your hand if you think Rose should go to Italy and have an affair with an Italian. Lily commandeered the group to a vote. Or a Spaniard, Ivy added. All hands shot up. Rose looked around the group and felt the love. More importantly, she felt the pull. For what, she didn't know yet, but she was determined to find out. It's unanimous, Rosie. You're going to Italy. And it's not to save Rachel either. It's to save you. Ivy poured a new round of wine for everyone and they toasted, just as thunder cracked the sky and the rain came pelting down. Rose didn't know if Mother Nature was sending applause or a warning. <laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Yes. And I'm since I'm still reading, I don't know quite yet if it's an applause or a warning, but Ooh. I know what I hope for. <laughs> Great. Thank you for sharing that piece. And I hope that that entices some of our listeners to learn more and get to know these characters because I've been enjoying them and I think others will too. One of the things that I know we want to talk about was, you know, how you're promoting this, because we know that lots of introverts I've spoken to feel challenged by the promotional aspects of their work. It doesn't seem to matter if it's something brand new to them or something they've been doing for years. What lessons have you learned about launching a new product in such a way that's in sync with your introvert nature? Well, you know, like most introverts, I would like to be left alone to create my stuff, 
and then I would like to be left alone to create more stuff. And then I would like to create some more stuff while someone else does something with my stuff. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much That's exactly how I feel about it. I, I am not crazy about promoting and selling. And, you know, it's not actually even the selling part of it because I know a lot of people get hung up on that. For me, it's just I love doing the creation and, and that's the thing I want to do. I want people to leave me alone to work in my, you know, at my desk and do my thing. But obviously the world doesn't work that way. So what I've done is I have systematized everything that I can. I've outsourced everything that I've that I'm not good at and then I save the stuff that is the best for me uh for selling my books the things that only I can do that's what I save my energy for. So for instance, interviews like this, um articles that I can write for publications, those things are really good for me and that you know, that I'm really the only one who can do those. So so I definitely make those a priority, but things like Twitter Oh my God, I, I can't stand Twitter. It, it is so mind-boggling to me and it, it pulls at me from every single direction. So what I did is I hired a book promotion service and so they promote to their 50,000 plus whatever followers about the book and that gets the word out there in the Twitter sphere and it's something that I don't have to do anything about. I paid someone to to do that and it goes to book lovers, which is obviously who I'm trying to reach. Mm-hmm. So I think that you just you give up on the stuff that that is really not your wheelhouse if it's you know th- that's what I've learned to do and you know there are other promotional services I use like BookBub and of course I hire a graphics person a designer to do the book covers and all the marketing materials because you know I could sit there and try to do it myself but it's never going to be that great because I'm not a designer <laughs> and so I would just go ahead and do all that stuff myself um the other thing that I do because on launch day, I reached out to 100 individual people to ask for various things, you know, reviews of the book, promotional support, um, introductions in order to to get reviews and things like that. And what I did to make it easy is I made a, a series of canned text emails. And not that I sent canned text to everyone, I did not, but there is a certain amount of information that is the same in each one of those emails about the book and the description and what you're asking for. And so I did that in order to make it easy for me to easily personalize the beginning of the email or the end of the email, however I was doing it, and then I can send them out because I don't want to be cold and impersonal to people, but I also know that typing out, you know, 100 individual emails in one day is, is you know, <laughs> going to be exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, and it's just like every introvert knows, if you send an email out, another one comes back. And I find email to be a huge drain on my time. You know, it takes, you know, the time I spend going through my inbox, you know, I could write a thousand words and a thousand words and a thousand words. And, you know, I keep thinking about that over and over again, you know, an hour a day on email for me is almost half a book over the course of a month. Mm -hmm. And so I, I equate a lot of my activities that way, you know, what would it take for me to do this? How can I systematize this? How can I outsource this? How can I downgrade this? Or should this be really important and I should save my energy for it? So I think for me, I went from a list of things I thought I had to do to prioritizing what I really needed and wanted to do so I could make the best use of my energy. Was there anything that in particular that was more challenging than the rest to either delegate or release entirely? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Besides being an introvert, I'm a little bit of a control freak, too. Um, what's really hard for, for me 
is releasing some things for my husband to do because we do work together and we have very distinct roles within the company. But going into this new fiction business, it was a little bit foggy at first because it's new for us. And there are things that we have to do for fiction that we didn't for nonfiction. And and because it's branded under my name only, um, there was a new website to be built and, and those kind of things. It was really hard for me to let some of that go. But then I realized I can't do it all and still get the writing done. So I could either be knit picky about the whole thing or I could just let it go and not surprisingly letting it go means that it got done much better than if I had tried to do it myself <laughs> that's a lesson I know I've learned so <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> hearing that mirrored back I too can be a little bit controlling and sometimes have trouble like oh that would be fun or I'd like to learn that or I can do it so why have somebody else it takes a, a bit of work to get through that initial resistance of letting it go and at the end it's always been worth it, <laughs> more than worth it. Well, you know, I, I the, the nice thing about working with an extrovert is that you never have to worry what they're thinking. And uh, Warren tells me all the time when he thinks I'm failing at this, <laughs> at this uh, um, personal growth <laughs> area. And, and it's good. And, and I'm always telling him, you know, I hate it that you try to make me a better person. <laughs> No, but he is very good at pointing it out. And even though I grumble and growl and occasionally curse about it, he is right. And I'm glad. I'm very fortunate that I have someone on my team to to keep me in line. And, and I think that's the best thing about learning to work with extroverts and introverts is respecting each other's talents and what you bring to the table. Because even though I don't want to be an extrovert, I benefit from being partnered with an extrovert. Yes. I want to... Um check in about, you know, you, you've been in business now for how many years? Um, oh gosh. Um, since 2007. Okay. Excellent. So that's almost, that's coming up on eight years. Wow. I can't, you know, how could this be when I'm only 27? Oh, I know. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I'm only 30 and I've been in business 15 years, you know, it's amazing. But so, so you've been in business for eight years and that means there's been a lot of projects, different products, different books that have been around. And now you've got something kind of bright and new and shiny. I'm wondering how do you keep up your, you know, sort of how do you decide where to put your attention and how do you keep up enthusiasm for things that you've created even maybe several years ago, but still have vitality and still have purpose and usefulness. It it seems like it'd be easy to focus on the fun new thing and let the other stuff wither. It, oh, it is so easy to do that. As I said before, I, I am an introvert who likes to just create. I just want to be left alone to create a bunch of stuff, and then you you guys go off and do something with it. And, you know, I mean, I really, that would be an ideal world, world for me because I'm always looking at the shiny new thing. I don't ever have to, you know, run the gamut with the old thing. But one book that we put out, and I will tell you right off the top of the head, it is it is the most basic how-to book that I have ever written. It was, um, I never even intended for it to become a book. Um, I intended it for it to just be a handout, and it just kind of grew. And we ended up publishing that, and that book, without any real promotion from us, still outsells everything else that we do. And it is a book on decluttering. And Again, I don't want to be the declutter queen, but people are interested to know how two people sold all their belongings at 40 to travel the world and how they, you know, what we learned, like, you know, our our magic formula and all of that. And so we have that and we have a course that's also based on that book. And so those two things, which we developed years ago, are still selling and still going strong. And 
we had to decide at the beginning of this year, and we do this every year in our business, we decide what portion of our attention we're going to focus on the products that we have and the products that we have in the pipeline. And I think that helps us stay on track because, you know, four of our nonfiction books are pretty evergreen content. I mean, we can, you know, put the focus on them, take the focus off of them. And they're still going to be relevant for years to come. And so that makes it a little bit easier. But this year when we started, we decided that we were putting a 70-30 split of our time, focus, and attention and dollars into promoting the the romance work versus the existing married with luggage nonfiction work. So we we have said we're putting in a 30% effort on our existing work, which is basically maintenance mode right now. And I think it's because it takes so much attention to go into a new area. But yeah, I think you have to really be conscious about this or it's easy to let that stuff just go into a back catalog and just kind of flounder. But you know, you could have something just like our Getting Rid of It book that just continues to sell like crazy. You know, why wouldn't I fan the flames a little bit of something that's already successful instead of going off to do something brand new and putting all my attention there? I mean, you have to... I don't know. I, I feel like you can't walk away from your babies, even though they aren't as cute when they get older. <laughs> <laughs> they start throwing temper tantrums. <laughs> exactly. So, so no, we do. We go back and we've, we've put out second editions of all of our books. We've updated covers. I mean, we do things like that periodically to, to continue the focus on them. You can't let it go. But again, I think you have to make a very conscious decision of how you're going to spend your time on old versus new work so that you don't spend all your time on bright, shiny things, but also so that you don't um, spend all your time on what you already have and neglect growing your portfolio. Your story is making me think about the very, I realize it's a very tired, but it's also tired because it's so true and (laughs) comparing creating a book. And I would say that goes to a product uh, with having a child. And, you know, when you first have that child, you do have to lavish it with a lot of attention and a lot of care. Um, But as it gets older, it can stand a little bit more on its legs, but you are always its parent. You know, it's, that's a lifetime job. And if you have another child, yes, you're going to have to switch your attention, but that doesn't mean that the other one is, uh, you know, gone for good. <laughs> um, well, and I, I think that's all true. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'm, I'm a child. I'm a daughter of someone and, and, you know, and an aunt and I know these things. But, you know, it, it is true that, you know, your books and, and other, pro- other types of products obviously will stand on their own a little bit more as time goes by. But, you know, I hear this question all the time, you know, this statement all the time. People are saying, you know, I really want to write a book, but it takes so much time and effort. And I just, you know, I really want to shake these people and say, yes, it takes some time and effort to write a book. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. But then you, you know, you spend that period of time writing it. And as you know, Afterward, then you have to sell it for years and years and years and years and years. So the the nice thing about the writing process is that it ends. I guess it's it's sort of like a pregnancy. It ends. It's time bound. It's over. But then after that, you know, it's there. It's out into the world and you have to do something with it. So I actually think that part is much harder than actually writing the book. I'm with you. So even as I've transitioned from writing the manuscript, which is you know, it's not quite a solitary activity, but in, in this in the whole scope of taking a book from idea to publication, it's probably the most solitary part of it. To once that manuscript is done and it's out of your hands, it's like you have no choice. You have to be out there. Even yes. before it's it's in your hands. 
um, a lot of work has to be done in order to prepare for its birth, basically. And it's, there's, it's a little, I found myself, and I don't know if this happened with you, you know, maybe in that, that period between I'm finished with it and here it is in my hands. Um, there's a bit of, uh, it's a little scary <laughs> because the safety of, you know, the work in solitude is gone. And now it's like, okay, I don't, I don't have the, oh, I have to work on my manuscript to hide behind. It's, I've got to get out there now. It's tough. And, you know, this time I used a lot of beta readers. I've always, I've always used beta readers, but never so many because I was very insecure about this book going out because it was my first fiction. Uh, and I thought, what if I'm terrible at this? <laughs> Which you are not. Well, but, but you know, you, um, why not utilize beta readers if you can? And so while it, before, maybe I would have used 10 beta readers. This time I had 69. Wow. And um, that's a lot of feedback that you get and you, you've turned in what you think is a pretty finished copy of it. And then you, you get all of this, uh, <laughs> critique and feedback. And of course you can't make everyone happy, but, uh, but there was, you know, anything that seemed consistent, you know, it was something I knew needed to be, you know, modified or worked on, but it's, a uh, it's a little bit scary to go from that. Like you said, you know, the weeks, months, years that you would have spent working on something, uh, on your own to putting it out into the world and having people then become part of the creative process, which is both a joy and a terror. (laughs) Well, that's a great segue to my next question, which has to do with vulnerability. You know, as we've talked about, you've done nonfiction and fiction. And depending on how one looks at it, you know, you could see one as more vulnerable than the other. What's been your experience? What have you noticed about your feelings of vulnerability and how you've handled them? How, how it's been different between the nonfiction and fiction experiences. Well, I feel like our nonfiction work uh, went from pretty impersonal, which is the decluttering. Um, you know, it, it, obviously we told our story, but, you know, we're talking about getting rid of your stuff. We're not talking about, you know, deep existential, you know, things. And so over time, though, it got much more involved, you know, talking about our money and our relationship and our families. And then our last book was about the lessons that we've learned by traveling the world. And, you know, it was very much a memoir slash travelogue. And, I felt like that was pretty much laying it out there. I mean, I said some things in there that were pretty personal. And uh, so I thought writing romance was not going to be any big deal. I mean, I'm writing about people. I'm making them up in my head, and I'm making up this entire story. But what I didn't realize uh, until I got into it is that when you start writing fiction, you leave traces of yourself all over the book. Um, there is not one character that is me, but there are many traits of all the characters that have some component of me or my husband or someone that I know. There are experiences in the book, like you were talking about the train station and, and some of those places that I've been, that I gave my impression, you know, how I felt the first time I went into a giant train station in Europe and thought, oh, wow, I never, I had no idea. All of those things are in the book. And Especially when it comes to writing, you know, your first uh, physical scene, uh, you know, you you want to be true to the character, but I mean, you know, I I really only have my own experiences to draw from, and and. So all of those things make it a very personal work, whether I'm talking about what these characters believe, what they do, what they're looking for in a mate, how they work, how they interact in the world. And 
I didn't realize until I finished the book how deeply personal it could be. And I'm excited to explore the rest of these characters um, over the course of this five book series because they're all so different. And I wonder what parts of me and my experience and my friends and my family that I'm going to pull out to put in <laughs> because it is a very personal work to write fiction. And I, I read that um, Elizabeth Gilbert talked about that as well. She went from from writing, you know, her sort of memoir in the Eat, Pray, Love. And she talked about how personal it was to write, you know, the fiction book that she, uh, the signature of all things. And I thought, I get that. I completely get that. And so when people tell me I like the book because of this reason or that reason, you know, it's, it's kind of a personal pat on the back. But if someone says, wow, I really had trouble with this part. How could she have said that? How could she have done that? I'm like, ooh. You know, I mean, because people get really passionate about the stories and, and what happens. And, oh, I didn't like her daughter was acting like a brat. She should have been, you know, <laughs> it gets it gets really crazy. And uh, but, you know, I'm part of that bratty daughter. I'm part of that mother. I'm part of the friend. And I don't know. It's it's a very personal thing. It must be so interesting. Yeah, to, to it, it seems like in the process of writing it, it there's some deep personal exploration. Because as you said, it's like there are little bits and pieces of you scattered throughout the characters. And as you notice them and then put them out there, yeah, you're going to have somebody who says, wow, that was really bratty. Or, wow, I really admired the way she responded to that. And you have to be able to hear both of those things from a, a grounded place, I would think. Well, not only that, when you're writing these characters, you don't want everyone to be nice and likable all the time. There's, if there's no tension or drama in the book, nothing happens. So I have to pull some of the more negative pieces of my personality or the people, people's personalities that I know. And, and again, there's no character that's just completely based on me or some other person, but you do draw from what you know. And, and whether that's you know, people that I've met in my travels, um, experiences that we've had, um, things that I've felt as we've moved through this world and I've moved through my 40s. Um, you know, all of those things make it out there. And I think that's what makes the book so realistic. You know, that's the the feedback I keep getting from women is, yeah, this is what I think. This is what I feel. Um, these are the kind of friends that I either have in my life or, oh, my God, I wish I had these friends in my life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And uh, you and I were chatting just before we started the, the podcast about how Rose, the protagonist in the first book in the series, seems to be an introvert. And like you were saying, so many of the characters, you know, the characters all have different personalities. Were you aware of that particular aspect as you were writing it? I was not aware of that aspect until later on. Um, you know, when you were talking about it, it really kind of brings it out. But I did base a lot of Rose and her... Basically, her her idea that she couldn't step out and do her own thing, that she was always taking care of other people. I base that on someone that I know at, who is an extreme introvert. <laughs> so it makes sense that that came across. Uh, for instance, the book that I'm writing right now, English Ivy is book two that comes out this summer, and she is an extreme extrovert. And so it's really fun getting to explore that side um, of a life that I don't lead, <laughs> but it's fun to be able to write that character because she still does have, you know, 
um, bits and pieces of me, but certainly more bits and pieces of other people that I know because I am not the extrovert. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to talk after you've written that book to see what you've learned about yourself and um, and extroverts in the world just from having lived with that character. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> there were two sentences or you know a, a bit here that I loved that was about Rose. Rose is a a gardener, and it's not even gardener. It's she's a landscape designer. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that's not doing it quite justice that I thought described Rose as an introvert, but also introverts in general in, in many cases where you say the house was a lot like Rose, warm and cozy, but a bit off the beaten path. You had to make some effort to get there, but once inside, you didn't want to leave. And when I read that, I thought, oh, I bet a lot of introverts feel that way in, you know, and people who are in relationship with introverts feel that way about what it's like to be close to an introvert. One of the things I love about writing fiction is being able to use setting and description to move the story along so that you can say something about a character by describing the house. You can, you can let so much information out just by those kinds of things. And, and that's harder to do in a nonfiction book. Uh, so that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about writing fiction is that, you know, making that whole surrounding and the, the way they speak, the, whether it's short or clipped or long or, or whatever, all those things say something about the character. And that's been really fun. Well, I have one last question that I want to ask about the book and your process, and that's what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started working on the Late Bloomer series? Wow. How long is this podcast? I know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think before I started, I, I wish I would have known that it would take several books to lay a strong foundation for a romance writing business. Now, I'm fine with it now because, you know, I told you I quickly went into this five-book series, but in all the research that I've done and um, in the mentors that I've talked to that I've since discovered since doing this, um, it's a little bit longer to... I don't want to say become famous because that's not the goal, but to really get a standing in the community. And, you know, that could take until I get through the end of this series. So anyone who's thinking of doing something like this, I think, you know, especially if you're looking from a financial perspective, you have to set your expectations that it, you know, it certainly takes a while and it takes a pretty aggressive production schedule to get it out there because people want to, to read a series in a reasonable time frame. So, so that's something I wish I knew, um, going in, but I think I adapted pretty well to that. So, so that's a good thing. Um, I also wish that I wish I would have challenged myself to write faster. So, um, this is something that I think a lot of writers do to themselves. And I know I did it to myself for a long time. I could spend the entire day working on my line count. So I would say, I'm going to write 2,000 words today, and, you know, it would take the whole day. Um, I started pushing myself to write faster, and I thought, well, if I write faster, it's going to be terrible. It's not going to be good anyway. I, I don't want to do that. I started pushing myself to try it, and I am now writing in a quarter of the time sometimes what it used to take me all day to do. And it's because I've learned so many tricks to, to keep my mind from getting distracted and going off and doing research when I should be writing and things like that. So I've been tracking. I've been using metrics. So I keep a spreadsheet and I use the Pomodoro method. Mm -hmm. And every, every session, I track that. And it has gotten faster. I've actually almost doubled my writing speed on a consistent basis, sometimes really blowing it out of the water, but, but really consistently doubled it. And doubled production 
means doubled output, which means the chance to make more money. So no matter what business you're in, I think if you challenge yourself to do more than you think you can do instead of just accept it, especially if you're in a creative field where you could get away with it, I'm an artist. It takes me all day to create. You know, that kind of a thing. I really think if you push yourself, you'll be surprised at how much more you can do, especially if you're tracking and trying to figure out with each Pomodoro or each work session, what's working for you and what's distracting you. I think uh, the other thing is I wish I wouldn't have tried to learn everything up front. I think before I started writing Wild Rose, I thought I had to learn the romance industry inside and out, fiction writing inside and out, romance writing inside and out, and then I was going to write my first book. And, you know, just saying it out loud sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but but oh so identifiable. Yeah, like, yeah. I get so, it. I think um, it was good that this thing was a dare to finish it by the end of the year because I think that's what really pushed me to get started on it. And, you know, I really turned it into kind of a learn-as-you-go thing. You know, I, I identified a few mentors. I joined some some groups. I took a couple of classes to help me along. And then I just realized that, you know, I'm not going to learn it all overnight. I'm going to learn a lot of it by doing it. And I'm just going to try to learn one solid new writing technique before each book. Mm -hmm. So one really in-depth strategy to make myself a better writer, whether I have to take a class or read a book and, you know, however I need to do that. Um, and that is really all I'm going to be able to absorb. So that is my MO now. And I think that has been, that has been wonderful because I can learn it and actually implement it and use it as opposed to trying to stuff a bunch of stuff in my head. Because as an introvert, or at least my type of introvert, I would love to just absorb all day long. Absorb, 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 learn, 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 study, 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 read, read, read. And that would be ideal. And I have to really rein that in because if I don't produce, then I don't have any output and then I don't have any money and then I can't stay in Spain and live this life that I really love. <laughs> <laughs> so I think those are my biggest wish, wish I had learned, but I think I've adapted pretty well to all of them. And that's one thing that I do really like and appreciate about myself is that I am a fairly adaptable person and I try really hard to learn from my mistakes and try to get a little bit better as I go along. Thank you so much. I identify with so much of what you're saying. I'm guessing all the listeners probably identify whether they're creatives or not, because what we're really talking about is any sort of process where you're taking something from idea to implementation and what can get in your way, whether it's a book or a product or a report that you have to turn in at work. And, and what you've shared here, I think, is applicable to all of those situations. So thank you. Yes. I want to wrap up with um, a question that goes to that piece that you were saying about absorbing so much. And I don't know if you would, how, I don't know where your introvert island would be, but you would be granted a three week vacation on <laughs> introvert island and you could only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? Oh gosh. Um, I think I would take the signature of all things with, uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, I loved this book. I've already read it. Um, but I think that she does such a great job of telling a story that could be thought of as very boring. I mean, this is a woman who spent her life studying moss and she turned it into this fascinating book. And I think if you can do that, you can do just about anything. So there's a lot to learn there. Plus it's very enjoyable. Um, I would read do the work by Stephen Pressfield, which is a book about resistance and procrastination and the creative effort and creative habit. And 
it's a book that I read quite frequently, actually, because I need that reminder about resistance. And, and it's a short little book, easy to digest. And then I think the third book I would read, hopefully I would be able to get some kind of advanced reader copy of The uh, Introvert Entrepreneur Woo-hoo. so that I could learn how to do all of this a little bit better. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I, I, I think I know somebody who can set you up with that. I think we can make that happen before your three-week vacation. Well, thank you. And what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and the Late Bloomers series? You can find out everything about the Late Bloomers series, the first book of which is Wild Rose, at BetsyTalbot.com. And while you're there, if you sign up for the email list, you can get a free short story starring all five ladies of the Late Bloomers. So you'll get to pick out their personalities and find out who's an extrovert and who's an introvert and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, and I have uh, also a, a series on the blog that people might be interested in called How I Became a Romance Writer. And it's about the transition from the nonfiction to the fiction work. Uh, including the mindset changes, the tools, and all that good stuff. So you can check that out at BetsyTalbot.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Betsy. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, and I always learn something new and feel inspired. So um, thank you for sharing your gifts with me and with everyone. Well, thank you, Beth. I love coming on your show. Part four, final reflection and recognition. My favorite takeaways from that conversation are reminders to get support from people you love and trust when you're launching something new, and to always be assessing, or at least regularly checking, all of the projects you have going on. Maybe one of the reasons we sometimes feel overwhelmed and scattered is not just because we have too many spinning plates, but that we haven't looked to make sure that all of the spinning plates are even relevant anymore, or that they're ready to be in maintenance mode, and that can relieve some of the pressure. I also am inspired by Betsy's courage. I know that sounds cliche, but I can't help it. It's just true. I think of it as courage in the sense of acting from her heart. And as she acts from her heart, I have no doubt she'll be successful. And that's true for anyone who acts from their heart. In closing, I want to recognize Paul Nessing, my podcast producer. We started working together in 2014, in April as a matter of fact, and I appreciate his professionalism, enthusiasm, humor, and all of the ways he's helped to make this podcast better. Thank you, Paul.